This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit kuiper.org to download this book or purchase a physical copy. The Politics of God and the Politics of Man Essays on Politics, Religion and Social Order by Stephen C. Perks Copyright 2016 Stephen C. Perks The Kuiper Foundation Taunton, England Visit bit.ly forward slash Perks Politics That's Perks P-E-R-K-S All one word All lowercase To purchase the full quality complete audiobook for only $5 for a limited time. Preface Politics and religion are inseparable. This fact alone accounts for the persecution of the early church by the Roman state. Francis Legge stated the matter clearly when he said that, quote, The officials of the Roman Empire, in time of persecution, sought to force the Christians to sacrifice, not to any of the heathen gods, but to the genius of the emperor and the fortune of the city of Rome. And at all times the Christian's refusal was looked upon not as a religious, but as a political offence. At the trial of Christ, the chief priests of the Jews said to the officials of the Roman Empire, quote, We have no king but Caesar, end quote, John 19.15. The early Christians, when faced with this same question, replied, quote, We have another king, the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. The Romans understood what this meant. Either Jesus would bow the knee to Caesar, or Caesar would have to bow the knee to Jesus. John 19.12 The church faces this same question again today and in a way that she has not had to face it since the days of the Roman emperors. Who is Lord? Christ or Caesar? Christ or the modern secular state? There was and is no third option, no third way. This was and still is a political issue. Christ was victorious in his struggle with the Roman state he will be victorious in his struggle with the modern secular state. The only question that remains is this. On whose side will you stand? Whom are you for? Whom will you obey? The Lord Jesus Christ or the modern idolatrous secular state? Christianity is not a mystery cult, a private devotional worship hobby that could find a quiet place in the greater context of ancient Roman idolatry. Christianity is not comparable with the mystery cults that were popular in ancient Rome. For the early church, merely adding Christ to the Roman pantheon, a tactic that was tried unsuccessfully by at least two Roman emperors, would have been a denial of his lordship and sovereignty and would have successfully neutralised Christianity as a threat to the Roman state. But, Christianity is more than a devotional cult. It is a religion that structures the whole of man's life. Both the early church and the Roman state understood this. Modern Christians on the whole have signally failed to understand this. And it is in large measure this failure that accounts for the decline of Christianity in the West today. The Lord Jesus Christ does not merely demand that we refrain from burning the incense to Caesar. 
he demands that Caesar burn the incense to him and acknowledge his lordship and sovereignty over Rome and the empire. To burn the incense to Caesar was to acknowledge that Caesar was the political overlord. For Christians, to refuse to burn the incense meant that Jesus Christ is the political overlord, the king of kings, to whom all kings must bow, Caesar included. There is no area of religious neutrality anywhere in the created order. Politics is not a religiously neutral enterprise. It is an intensely religious enterprise. Burning the incense was a religious act of political submission. Refusing to burn the incense was not a religious crime in a narrow sense, a devotional offence. It was, rather, a religious act of political rebellion against Rome. The Church in the 21st century must recognise this truth and begin living in terms of it, as did the early Church, by challenging the political idolatry that is destroying the Western world today. Only when the Church awakens from the deadening slumber that has overtaken her and proclaims once more the Lordship and Sovereignty of Jesus Christ over the whole of life, including the political realm, will the world be delivered from its slavery and bondage to sin, as manifested today in the politics of rebellion against God. And only then will the world experience real freedom, the glorious liberty that the Gospel of God brings to all nations that submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. The law and gospel of God is a public truth, a light, not only for man's personal devotions, but also for the government of the nations. This is not a new doctrine. It is the established orthodox teaching of the Christian faith. For example, on the 2nd of June 1953, Queen Elizabeth II was crowned in Westminster Abbey. One of the first things she did in the coronation ceremony was to swear an oath that she would, to the utmost of her power, quote, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel, end quote, and to the utmost of her power, quote, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law, end quote. After swearing this oath, a Bible was presented to the Queen with the following words, quote, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole of life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. End quote. It is true, of course, that since this oath was taken and these solemn words were spoken, the British political establishment and the British people as a whole have turned away from the Christian faith and adopted the atheist religion of secular humanism as public truth. What this means, however, is not so much that Britain is no longer a Christian nation, at least covenantally and constitutionally, as that Britain is now an apostate nation. The answer to this apostasy is not abandonment of the Christian faith as the religion of state, but rather repentance and reformation, 
a wholehearted return to the Christian faith as the guiding principle of our national life. If this is to happen, the law and gospel of God must inform all that we think, say and do as individuals and as a nation. Only when submission to the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a reality in the life of the nations of the earth can it be said that the Great Commission is being fulfilled since the Great Commission is not a command to disciple individuals from among the nations but a command to disciple the very nations themselves that is, to make Christian nations. It is the comprehensive nature of the Christian faith that these essays seek to explore, but especially as the faith relates to the realm of politics, social order and national life. This book is a collection of individual essays, with the exception of the introduction, chapter 1, which is meant to be read before any of the others. These essays do not have to be read in the order in which they are presented here. Nevertheless, the order in which they are presented here is the one that I consider to be the most logical and appropriate. The introduction deals with certain questions that the other essays do not deal with, questions to which readers may well want answers before they consider the material presented in the other essays. The introduction also provides definitions of some important words and terms that are used throughout the book. The common theme running through these essays is the nature of Christianity as public truth. Over the past century, Christianity has increasingly ceased to function as public truth in the Western nations. Whatever a society considers to be public truth will inevitably function as a religion of that society. What functions as public truth in modern Western nations is secular humanism. Secular humanism is a religion of the West today. Christianity has been reduced to the status of a mere mystery cult, that is, personal salvation cult. But secular humanism is too weak to function as a stable foundation for civilization. Nor is this a problem that can be corrected. The spiritual and moral relativism that lies at the heart of secular humanism's core values makes it impossible for secular humanism to function as a stable foundation for civilization. Like its offspring, multiculturalism, secular humanism is a temporary phenomenon, a staging post in a process of transition from one civilization to another. Eventually, the secular humanist multicultural society must give way to the dominating influence of some other religion as the foundation of Western civilization. It is my contention that only the Christian religion can provide a true, stable, and lasting foundation for civilization, and that the abandonment of Christianity as public truth in the 20th century has led the world into chaos. The answer to the chaos that the modern world faces is therefore the revival of Christianity as public truth, that is, as the religious foundation of our civilization, in terms of which both individual men and nations with their civil governments must organize their whole life by conforming to the precepts and teachings of the Bible.
In other words, Christianity must be the established religion of all nations. This is precisely what the Great Commission calls for. But this brings us to another equally important theme that runs throughout these essays, namely that the fulfilment of the Great Commission will not be possible without the manifestation of the Kingdom of God in the lives of both individual Christians and the Christian communities of all nations as a concrete social order that models to the world what true society should be, and by doing this calls the world to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the manifestation on earth in tangible form of this prophetic social order, the world will not be one for Christ. The Christian community is to be a light to the world. Only as that light is seen, that is, only as Christians are seen living as a real social order that transforms the whole life of man, will the world be drawn to it. Quote, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up swords against nation neither shall they learn war any more. End quote. Isaiah 2, 2-4 Most of the essays in this collection are based on lectures originally given in the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand and Africa between 2001 and 2006, the texts of which were subsequently published in Christianity and Society, the journal of the Kuiper Foundation. Because they were originally delivered as separate lectures, there is a certain amount of overlap in subject matter in places. It seemed better to leave this overlap standing rather than truncate individual essays merely for the purpose of eliminating all repetition. All these essays, however, have been re-edited, extensively revised and considerably expanded for this collection. I should like to thank Esmond Burney, Dennis Cavan, Jason Lawton and Nick Needham for reading through earlier drafts of the book and making many helpful suggestions and comments, and Jason Lawton for proofreading the final version. I should also and especially like to thank my wife, Susan, without whose support the work I do, including the writing of this book, would be immeasurably more difficult. Stephen C. Perks, September 2006 The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce 
including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.